0: Well, my name is Misael Gonzalez, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I just want to say good morning to you guys. Uh, you know, I'm so grateful for these guys right here, these little kids. Oh, my goodness, you guys hype me up, and I love it. So I'm so thankful that you allow your students and your kids to be here, and I'm just so thankful for that. Uh, and can I, we just praise the Lord this morning? Like, this morning was awesome. Thank you for leading us in worship. I was just like... Oh my goodness, you know, the Lord is working in this place and it's so evident. And whether it's your first time, or your hundredth time, or your five thousandth time, I want to let you know that you've been prayed for. Our staff has walked through these seats and have prayed for you, whether we don't know your name or whether we don't know where you come from. But man, we love you, and this place loves you, and you've been prayed for, and the Lord is working. It's so evident. And it's so evident in the spirit of this place where, really, this place, if we're honest, was on the verge of dying. This place was about to die, and then the Lord breathed his life in it. And now there's so much life, and the Spirit of the Lord is working. And it's so evident. And it's so evident because last Sunday, okay, one of our youth students came up to me and we're like, I, I need to surrender to the Lord. I understand that I'm a sinner and I need him. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you do. We need him. And it's just so awesome to see that because that is why we are here, to see people come to the Lord and for us to love him and to love others. That is why we're here. That's what we do what we do. And so it's so incredible to see the Lord continue to work in this place. And really, it's such a privilege to be a part of First Baptist Owasso in Owasso and in Tulsa in these two locations and then very, very soon in two languages, which is so cool. And I want to invite you guys. All right. Next Sunday, we're going to continue to celebrate what the Lord has done, even in this COVID time. So, next Sunday at 4 o'clock on the Owasso campus, we're going to have a baptism celebration. And so, we have baptisms coming from this campus and the Owasso campus, and we're going to go outside. We're going to celebrate the saves that were, the, the souls that were saved, and the life transformation that has happened. And so, I want to invite you guys to that because, my goodness, I'm just so grateful for what the Lord is doing. And so this morning, we're going to continue our series that we're in, and it's a series of the church, to gather in a changing world, or in other words, la iglesia, en un mundo cambiante, congregados en un mundo cambiante, and that's what we are here for, as the church, and though the world is changing, we serve a God who never changes, and it's in these moments that we keep on saying, Right? These moments that we get to see each other or speak to one another, that we really get to challenge one another and encourage one another and cry with one another really because we're in this journey together to be able to challenge one another in this calling that the Lord Jesus Christ has in our life, this high calling in him. And so, as we think about that, and as we go into this chapter in Acts, I want to make sure that we understand these, like, two simple little background things about Acts. And maybe you know about it, maybe you don't. They're really simple. And the first one is that the author of Acts is Luke, and it's the same author from the Gospel of Luke. And so I just want to make sure that we get that. And, and the second thing, really, is that Acts is this historical narrative. And really what that means is that it's a story, and it's supposed to be read like a story. And what happens is that it's a story where God is the main character, and he uses different people, right, to share his gospel. Because really, this is a whole story of the journey, how the gospel went from Jerusalem to where it started, all the way to the ends of the earth. And that's such an incredible story for us to look into. And so as we read it, as we've already read it, I want to give you guys just a textual idea of what's going on. And that is, as Philip is in Samaria, the Lord asks him to leave that place in order to meet an important man on a desert road to clearly explain the gospel to him. And then this is our sermon idea, so I want you guys to write this down if you're taking notes. What stands in our way? What stands in our way? What stands in my way? What stands in your way? I don't know if you ever asked yourself that question before, but I know I have. So I've asked this question before, and I was actually in Israel. And what's so cool is as we look at this passage, we see that Philip was on the road to Gaza. And this story actually takes place right next to Gaza. So I'm in Israel, and I'm in this little town that's right next to Gaza. And I'm in this little area where it's like a bunker and a shelter, but also like a classroom kind of thing and so i'm sitting there and it was actually really sad to sit there and have the person explain to us that gaza was continually uh, sending missiles and bombs over to israel and we were right there like in this it was in this place where any minute that we were sitting there a bomb or a missile could have came over and we had 7 seconds to seek shelter it was insane but I was, as I was there and I was listening, the man was showing us different missiles, like really old ones and really new ones. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. I've never seen a missile so close to me. And so then as he's he explaining and we finish, I was like, well, I got to take a picture. I was like, I got to take a picture of this. So I get my phone out after we're all done. And I'm over here taking pictures, as you can see on the screen. And I'm like, okay. And then by the time I take the second picture of, of this new one, I was like, man, everyone's gone. I'm like, i I'm the only one in here. And I looked at the missile, like one of the old ones, and I was like, what stands in my way of picking it up and taking a picture to show my mom? So I took a little picture, and I was like, I wonder if my mom would freak out. I sent it to her. She did. She was like, oh, my gosh. And I was like, well, sorry. So I asked that question, and I was like, man, what stands in my way? And I was like, oh, this is so cool. I I set it down really quickly. But I don't know if you guys have ever had uh, that moment in your life that uh, you were asking, hey, what stands in my way? And this question is really profound because that's the question that we see the Ethiopian eunuch ask. At the very end, he asks, what is in my way? What stands in my way of being baptized? And that's a question I want us to think of as we go out through this entire passage. What stands in your way? What stands in our way? So this morning, we're going to look at two realities of where God is, and then we're going to look at two ways that the church must be marked. So the first reality that we see uh, in verses 26 all the way to verse 35, is that God is in the details. God is in the details. And this is really simple. And we're going to keep it simple, but we're going to read this together, starting in verse 26. And I know we already read it, but I think it's good for us to read it in this mindset of God is in the details. So it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go to the south road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem. To Gaza, So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandak, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting on his chariot, reading the book of the prophet Isaiah. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. You see, God is in the details. And it's so incredible to see how Philip is in Samaria at this point. And God says, Look, through his spirit, it's like, Look, Philip, you gotta go on this road. And Philip doesn't even know where he's going. He just knows that he's supposed to start. Like he doesn't know if he's like supposed to end up in Gaza or go, even go further than Gaza. He just knows he's supposed to go on a specific road at that particular time. And it's so incredible to see Philip's reaction, Philip of not questioning God, but more so saying, okay God, I'm gonna go. And I think Philip understood that at this moment, God wasn't asking for Philip's understanding. He was asking for Philip's obedience in that, where if God said, go, I'm going to go. And really, that's really important for our lives because a lot of times we really want to understand every detail in which God has. But really, he's just asking for our obedience. And one thing to know is that Philip was just a normal dude. He's just a calming guy. He's just a normal dude. And what's so interesting is that the Ethiopian eunuch is not just a normal dude. So the thing about the Ethiopian eunuch is that he was actually a really important man. So eunuch is not his name, that's his title. And it's his title because he was a treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia. And so what he would do is really he was in charge of all the money. So if you're in charge of the money, you're a pretty important person. And what's so interesting about the Ethiopians is that they viewed their queens and their kings like they were sons and daughters of the sun god, the sun that kind of comes down. And so you have this eunuch who is really serving and working for a person who is looked at as a God. And he's like, that can't be right. And he was searching for the one true God. And that's what we see right here where Philip, this common dude, is going to uh, this really important man, and God is leading him there through his spirit. And again, Philip is going with an open heart, open hands, and open mind, saying, okay, God, you've told me to go, now what? I'm just walking here. And then what we see, again, God in the details, he's just saying, Philip, just go stand right next to him. Just go do that. Just run up to him. And uh, what's so incredible is that you have Philip asking this question, and then you have the eunuch asking a question, which really depicts the entire, not the entire theme of Acts, but some of that theme of Acts where he says, how can I understand if no one explains? And that's a little bit of a theme of Acts where And and even in Luke, where you have people that are needing the explanation of how the Old Testament points to Jesus. Because if you look at this passage in Isaiah that he was reading, Philip takes that, and at the very end, it says exactly what he did. He said, Jesus. And as you look at this story, it's really interesting to see how Philip just kind of showed up where God told him to show up. Which, if you think about it, I think half of evangelism is just showing up. You know, if you want to be a bad evangelist, or if you want to be a bad disciple, if you want to be someone who's just not doing their job as a believer, just don't show up. <laughs> just don't. But half of evangelism is showing up, and that's what we see Philip doing. He shows up, says, God, I'm here, I'm open. Now what do I do? And asking these questions. And then Philip gives him Jesus through the Old Testament, which I think is so vital for us as we think about this, because really we are to read the Old Testament Christologically As in, we are to see Jesus in the Old Testament, how he fulfills that. Because he really does. And so as we look at this, we see that he gives them the teaching of Jesus. And he weaves the Old Testament and starts there and goes all the way to this moment, right? Where he's like, hey, here is Jesus. And, And I think it's so important for us to see the value of how Philip listened to the Spirit throughout this whole story. And I think for us as a church and as believers, that's something we have to think about. That the church must be marked by the Spirit. The church must be marked by the Spirit. And so this is our applicational point, and it's going to be a little bit different because really I'm going to give you some short statements, and I'm going to have you guys write down some verses. And these verses, I want you to write them down and then go home and look them up. Because I think, it'll be so, I think it's so vital for us to understand the Holy Spirit. And honestly, I wish we had like a whole sermon series to talk about the Holy Spirit. That would be really cool. Uh, but we're not going to do that today. Hopefully I'll suggest it for later. That would be awesome. But here, here's a couple of statements I want to, to give to you. Because I think the Holy Spirit is so vital in our lives. We must be marked by it. We must be led by it. Because when we look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, here are the list of the fruits of the Spirit. That when we obey the Spirit, when the Spirit transforms us and is working in us, we have love, we have joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. And against such things, there is no law. And these things are honestly things that we need in our life that I need in my life. Because, man, you know how many times I want to get so mad at someone who is just, like, chewing their gum too loud? I'm like, oh, my gosh. But it's really these stings, right? I understand. I get it. And it's these stings that we need from the Spirit. So here are five statements I want to give you. And I'm going to give you five verses or five uh, passages. So the Holy Spirit is vital in the life of the believer because it is God himself in us. It is God himself in us. And I want you to write down John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. John 14, 16 through 17, where it's talking about God himself is in us. The second thing and why the Holy Spirit is so vital in the life of the believer, is because it is God Himself teaching us and bringing peace to our lives. God Himself teaching us and bringing peace to our lives. So I want you to write down John chapter 14, verses 25 to 27, John 14:25 to 27. And this is such an incredible passage right here because it really talks about the Holy Spirit teaching us all things as our helper and giving us peace because he says, peace, I leave with you. Peace, I'm peace and I'm with you. So the third thing that, uh, that is so vital for us and why the Holy Spirit is so vital for the life of the believer is because it is God himself guiding us and leading us. God himself guiding us In leading us. And I want you to write down John 16, 12 to 15. John chapter 16, 12 through 15. The next one, the Holy Spirit is so vital, so vital in the life of the believer because it is God Himself who empowers us with His authority. God Himself empowers us with His authority. And for this one, I want you to write down Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And then the last one is the Holy Spirit is vital in the life of the believer because it is God himself who seals us, seals our salvation and gives us assurance. That is God himself. And I want you to write down Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And I, really, I want to read this one for us. Uh, and I know we've went really fast on all those, but if it's okay, I want you guys to take time this next week and read one of these passages a day. Man, I hope that gives you assurance. I hope that gives you just a, a huge encouragement. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Man, we must be led and marked by the Holy Spirit. And I love this song. I have this this really favorite song of mine that actually says, Spirit, lead me. That's the title of it. And I want you to hear these words. Hear these words because these are words that impacted me so, so much. It says this, if you say, as in God, if you say it's wrong, then I'll say no. If you say release... I'm letting go. If you're in it with me, I'll begin. And when you say to jump, I'm diving in. If you say be still, then I will wait. If you say to trust, I will obey. I don't want to follow my own ways. I'm done chasing feelings. Spirit, lead me. What a powerful statement, right? And I know you guys heard about Compassion International and what, what we are being led as a church, because truly as a church, we want to be led by the Lord. If at any point we are leading the Lord, we are doing something completely wrong and evil. But we want to be led and to follow him. And really, we feel the Lord leading us into what Compassion International is talking about. And that's And that's really sponsoring children in Nicaragua and and sponsoring them to have an education, to have a church, to be discipled, and all of these other things that you'll get so much more detail about. But really, it's not just sponsoring a child for $38 and transforming their life, which is awesome, but it's really transforming an entire community of people. It absolutely transforms the entire community when you sponsor that one child because it gives them an education, them a transformative education, but also it brings in jobs and all these other things. And so what I want to ask of you is just to begin praying, saying, Lord, is that something that we are to do as as a family, as a church? Is that something that we are to do and is that something that you're leading us to do to sponsor a child for $38? And I know you're going to get more detail on that, but I just want to ask you to start praying in this moment and also ask the lord lord what stands in my way of being led by the spirit what is standing in my way in that and so we've looked that god is in the details we've looked that we are to be marked by the spirit and then the next thing that we're going to see is that god is in the desert god is in the desert and so before we get into verse 36 to 40 where we see this, I want to make sure that as we read this, you understand that they're in the desert. If you go back to verse 26, the Lord led Philip to the desert road. Okay, so imagine yourself as we read these next couple of verses that you are on this little chariot thing in just the desert. You see the camel, you see the cactus, anything that you see in the desert as we read this. So it says in verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, wow. Wow. It's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized them. Baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared to Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is a short and sweet point, but God is in the desert. You have the eunuch searching for the Lord, crying out to the Lord and saying, I don't understand, but I want to know the triune God. I want to know the one true God. And here you have the Lord with him, sending someone to him. Man, I hope this encourages you because there are moments in our life where we truly feel like we're in the desert. We truly feel so, just, just so dehydrated spiritually or physically or mentally. And we're like, God, where are you? And you begin to question your faith. You begin to question God. And it's like, God, I just, man, I'm such in the desert. And we're here, and, and you begin to get on your knees, and you begin to cry out to the Lord. The Lord is faithful because he says he's with you. He's there. And many a times we are so good at questioning God, we forget to question why we question. For being honest, it's like God, why am I questioning you? And so it's in these moments that we see that God is in the desert. And and what's really so cool about this is that we see that yes, Philip told the good news about Jesus. But as you see, the first, the next question after that is the eunuch saying, "Well, what hinders me from being baptized?" And this is so fascinating because you have Philip proclaiming the gospel and sharing the gospel in such a way that made it seem a natural logical and a natural spiritual step to be baptized. And this is an awesome thing where I think it's a great uh, teaching moment for us that we are to share the gospel in such a way that we are telling people, look, your next logical your next spiritual step is baptism. God is in the desert. And so the next applicational point that we see in this in this in this passage right here is that the church must be marked by submersion the church must be marked by submersion you see it's interesting because I think Philip did such a great job with the Ethiopian eunuch to share with him the message of baptism, the mode of baptism, and the method of baptism. This message of baptism, where it's just great testimony of saying, look, not only do you place your faith in Jesus, but you also have to obey him, though it's really hard. It's this message where it's like you were transformed, that you have to repent of your sin. It's this message of saying, look, you were dead, and now you're alive, and you're going to proclaim this. You're going to proclaim this to the whole world. You're going to proclaim this to yourself. This message of baptism is what Philip was telling the eunuch. And then you have this mode of baptism, which we see in Matthew 28. They're at the end, of ending verses that we actually looked at two weeks ago, where it says that we are to make disciples and baptize them in what? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is correct. Not in the name of Misael Alonso Gonzalez. No. Not in the name of your name. Not in the name of something else, but in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because he is the only one who has the power to transform us and to make us new. And so we see that mode, but then we see the method. Right, And so we look at this word baptism or baptized, and in the Greek, it's baptizo. In this Greek, the, the definition of that is full body immersion, which you could also say submersion, which is our point. But then you even look a little bit closer, and even in the text itself, it says that both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and then came out of the water. You see, there's a lot of group of people that have these ideas about baptism, and that's and man, there's there's a lot. But the thing is, is that if I want to do baptism in such a way that's biblical, well, I'm going to look at the Bible and what the Bible says. If I'm going to do anything, I want to see what the Bible has to say of it. So I'm going to look at what does the Bible says how I should be baptized. Well, man, if we think again about this message of baptism and how how it depicts how we are dead in our sin, but we are made alive in Him. And then baptism is this full immersion of the body and then coming out. It's this beautiful picture, how this physical representation of what's happened internally that we were dead, but now we are made alive in Him. And that's so significant for us because it's not like we were weak, it's not that we were sick. No, we were dead. And the Lord pulled us out. And that's why baptism is submersion. That's why we must be marked by submersion, by baptism. Because how cool is it when we go around the world, we travel the world, or we travel the street, and we look at someone and we're like, hey, have you been baptized? They're like, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, how was that? What was that experience like? And they're like, well, man, this is what it was like. I was fully submerged. And it was just this physical representation. And it's something I can latch onto for the rest of my life, knowing and having confidence of what the Lord has done in my life it's like, yeah, me too, that's incredible. It's this unifying factor of baptism. And it's this huge, huge encouragement. And the method of baptism is so important because, again, it's this important, beautiful picture. And so as we continue to look at baptism, this is a huge focus for us this morning, is let's look at baptism as an act of obedience, right? So if we look again at Matthew 28, it's not just a great commission, but it's a great commandment. Something that we ought to do, not just we should do, but we must do. And so not only are we to make disciples, but we must baptize. That's an act of obedience. Again, the Lord Jesus asks us to imitate him. He goes, imitate me in my humility and my love and what I do. Well, if the Lord Jesus was baptized, man, I must imitate him in that way as well. And so I must imitate him in his baptism. And so an act of obedience. And really, if you think about it, it's really rare to find someone in the Bible that was not baptized after their conversion. One of the rare instances is the thief on the cross, where he looked at Jesus on the cross. He goes, Jesus, I believe you're the Messiah. I believe that you're the Savior. Well, in that moment, for obvious reasons, he couldn't be baptized. But Jesus said, right now, with me, you will be in paradise. You will be with me. And so we look at that, right? And we're like, okay, well, baptism doesn't save me, but it's an act of obedience. Yeah. And it's this incredible thing where we have to have conversion before submersion. And I know that's a funny way to illiterate it, sorry. But it's honestly true. You have to have conversion before submersion. So I want you to think about this, right? I'm not married. I don't have a ring. But can you imagine if I walked in today with like a wedding ring on my finger, the amount of questions I would get from you guys, oh my gosh, who, when, where, why, what time, what were the flowers like? And I was like, oh my gosh. Can you imagine this conversation with me being like, well, no, I didn't get married. I'm just wearing the wedding ring because I think, you know, I know I'm going to get married at some point and I think it's cool and, you know, I just, I want to practice You'd look at me so funny. You'd be like, Messiah, you're so weird. Like, why did you put the ring on before ever making the commitment and the covenant with someone else before the Lord and other people? I'd be like, yeah, you're right. So if we think of baptism as that symbol, why would we be baptized before placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? You see what I'm saying? So that's why conversion must come before submersion because it is this incredible symbol of what the Lord has done and we've repeated it time and time again, but don't miss it. Don't miss it that this baptism is such an incredible physical and tangible thing of what has happened to us internally. We've been washed, we've been saved, we've been cleansed of all of our impurities. It's incredible to think about that. I can't imagine uh, my life without Jesus. Like, I I can't imagine uh, living a life without him, without being transformed, because I need him every single day. And when you think of us as human beings, we are, honestly, if you allow me, we are so dumb, we're so silly, we're so forgetful, we really are. And as a human being, I need, I think God knew, I think God knew that I needed these physical things to help me remember who he is, to help me remember what he's done in my life In those moments where I am in the desert in those moments where I am forgetful in those moments where I am doubting. And so when I think about that, I think that's why God gave us baptism and the Lord's supper. These physical representations and these symbols that have, that carry so much weight Because he knows I'm a silly human being. He knows I need those things. I need to remember who he is and what he's done for me. And so again, the question stands. What stands in your way of being baptized? What stands in your way? What stands in your way of being led by the Holy Spirit? What stands in your way of placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? What stands in your way of getting to know who Jesus is more, who God is more? What stands in your way of loving people? What stands in your way? There's these three things that I think summarize what stand in our way. Things that, man, we have to continuously look out for. And it's power, pleasure, and praise. Power, pleasure, praise. And praise. I think those things hinder us so much, being led by the Spirit, being led to love others, and those are the things that stand in our way. And so as we move into a time of response, I really want you guys to be thinking about that. Be thinking about, Lord, what does stand in my way? And if what stands in my way, if it can be summarized in power, pleasure, or praise, man, Lord, I have to have a moment to repent. I have to have a moment to say, Lord, forgive me. Because truly, that's how we must be marked as a church. And there's some other markers of the church, but these are the ones we're focusing on. And so this morning, if if that's you, if that's you, that's like, man, these are things that are standing in my way, I'm gonna encourage you guys to pray. And the altars are open, and if you want someone to pray with, I'm gonna be over here, and Jonathan's gonna be over here, and we wanna pray for you as we sing. And then after we sing, I'm, I'm gonna, man, I'm gonna come back up and share a little bit more with you guys, but... If after the service, if you're like, Misael, I need to talk with you. I need to know who Jesus is more. I need to know what he has done for me. I need to know this gospel. Well, man, I want to be here to talk with you. I want to be here to talk with you and say, look, there is a God who created, but he didn't just like leave. He created and he was intentional and he was there with us and he came down to our filth to save us. I want to share with you the love of God. And if today the Lord is, is working in your heart and you're like, yeah, I gotta surrender my life because I can't save myself, I am not good. Well, today's a day and don't leave today without surrendering to the Lord. Don't leave today without responding to the Lord and whatever that looks like. So as we sing, let us continue to lift our voices to him. Let us continue to be okay with opening up our eyes in humility. Let us pray together. Lord, I'm so grateful for how you speak to us and how you work in our lives. God, thank you that we don't have to clean ourselves to come to you. Lord, thank you that you are with us in the headache and the anxiety and the depression, in those moments where we feel so lost and without guide. But God, we cling to you in the midst of it all. We cling to you as our leader, as our Lord, as our guide the one who is with us and in us and goes before us. God, thank you for who you are. And, and God, at this moment, we repent. We repent, Lord, where we ha- have just not done what you have commanded us to do. We repent how we've allowed pleasure, power, or praise to stand in the way of you. God, forgive us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness as we do go out. As we do go share of your love and in your kindness. Lord, we praise you. Do a mighty work in us, through us, and beyond us. In Jesus' name, I pray.